bring you greetings from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make every crooked path straight. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In our broadcast today, we're going to be discussing how to overcome and live above faith killers. Having discussed faith killers in our broadcast last week. So let's do a brief rundown on what we have discussed in our last broadcast where we spoke about faith killers. Basically, these are things that weaken and kill and destroy our faith towards God. And we noted that the major culprit was facts. And there are two others that we didn't explicitly mention, but they were implied. Facts are things that we see. That is, things that have physical evidence, scientific evidence. They are things that we can see. We can't even argue with them because we can see them. They are facts. Yet they kill our faith. Now, faith is based on the evidence of what we cannot see. Faith is based on what we hear from God. Facts are based on what we see. The Bible says that we do not walk by sight, but by faith. So there's a difference between faith and sight. The physical evidence and the evidence of the unseen. There's a major difference there. So basically, facts tend to kill or weaken our faith. What we see tend to become something that we hold on to over what we have heard God say, which we cannot see. Then there are feelings. Feelings are not based on any evidence whatsoever. They're not even based on any rationality whatsoever. They're just based on how we feel about something. They are based on what is happening within us, what some people call intuition, but there's nothing on it. They just say, well, I feel this way. Maybe somebody's looking at them in a particular way. They say, I feel that guy is a bad guy. They look at something and they just feel it and they hold on to that feeling and believe that feeling to be true. That feeling itself is a faith killer, a faith weakener. Because as we feel something, we are not believing what God has said. We are believing what we feel. And then there's the flesh. The flesh is that nature of man that loves to sin, that desires to live contrary to the word of God. So whenever God says something, the flesh and its affections and its passions seek to undermine the word of God by getting us to contradict or to live contrary to that word. The Bible tells us that nobody who is living in the flesh can obey God because the flesh is hostile to God. So it doesn't matter what God says, the flesh will always walk contrary. The Bible also tells us in Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 and 17 that the flesh is contrary to the spirit and the spirit contrary to the flesh. They don't agree. They never meet. When the spirit says go left, the flesh will say no, go right. And so you find that they are contrary to one another. When the spirit says sit down, the flesh says stand up. And usually the tendency is to believe the flesh because that is what has been with us since we were born. But when we became born again, the spirit took over. However, many people have learned to live in the flesh. And so the flesh, whenever it comes in along with its affections and its passions, weaken our faith so that we go based on what the flesh is directing rather than what the spirit of God is directing. And so from these three principal faith weakness, we derive unbelief, doubt, reasoning, rational thinking, fear, experts, sight, anxiety, worry, our natural abilities, military might, covetousness, historical antecedents, disobedience, rebellion, sin, emotions, and so on and so forth. And all these things put together are faith killers. The bottom line is that if we choose to believe anything apart from God's word regarding 
a particular matter, it will not be an act of faith. It will be an act that actually weakens our faith toward God. It will be something that we are acting upon outside of God. Note that faith is believing the word of God, even when we do not see something. So even though I may feel that the way this man is behaving is not right, if God says the man is okay, I believe the word of God, not how I feel. If I believe how I feel, then my faith in God is weakened because I'm not believing something else. If I believe the flesh that is telling me to do something contrary to what God is asking me to do, then my faith is weakened. It's similar to what happened to Eve in the garden. Eve chose to believe what the serpent was telling her over what God had said. Her faith was weakened and destroyed and sin entered into mankind. Today, we want to see how we can overcome the onslaught or barrage of faith killers and weakness. How do we deal with these things? That's basically what we want to discuss. But let me do a brief overview of the subject matter and then we'll dive into one or two things and see where we end for today. But I believe this will be a study that will take us two weeks or three weeks at the most. In John chapter 10, the Lord Jesus Christ said, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that people might have life and to have it more abundantly. Faith killers, they come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Faith killers are like thieves. They have a goal. The goal is to kill. Yet the Lord has a goal to give us life, to give us eternal life, and to give it more abundantly. And don't forget, we had said that the objective of faith, the goal of faith is eternal life. So as the Lord is giving us eternal life over what the thief might want to be taking, we realize that we are growing in faith. But where we choose the sedentary life of dealing with facts, feelings, and the flesh, we end up in a situation where our faith is stolen, ruined, and destroyed completely. In Acts chapter 17, verse 28, the Bible says concerning the Lord, in him we live. In him we move, in him we have our being. It is in him that we have life. That is in the Lord Jesus Christ that we have this eternal life. Outside of him, we don't have life. But within him, we have life. In John chapter 1 verse 4, the Bible says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. It is in him that we have eternal life. Outside of him, we have no eternal life. In 1 John 5 verse 10 to verse 12. The Bible says, He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. The same is repeated in John chapter 3, verse 36. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life. If you don't have Christ, you don't have eternal life. Eternal life is in Christ, and Christ is the gift that gives us eternal life. Indeed, in John chapter 17, verse 3, when the Lord was praying, he said, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life. Eternal life is in God. It's not outside of God. It's not in a church. It's not in an experience. It is in God. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. The just are those who have been justified through faith. They will now live henceforth 
By faith. When a child is born, a child has life. That's true. However, that child must live in a manner that he has been trained. Otherwise, he will become a problem to society and a danger not only to himself, but to society in general. So it's one thing to be born again. It's another thing to be well brought up, to be well taught in the things of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to 20, I'm just trying to build an introduction to where we are going. Ephesians chapter 2, from verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called on circumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. When you don't have Christ in you and you are not in Christ, you are considered an alien to the things of God. You are estranged from the covenant of promise, the promise of eternal life. There is no hope in that person and he is without God in the world. So he may say, I believe in God, but because he doesn't have Christ, he doesn't have God. Because he that hath the Son is the one that hath life. And that life is eternal life. He goes on to say in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who hath made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. That is, through him we now have peace one with another. That is, there is peace between the Gentiles and the Jews on the one hand. Then on the other hand, there's going to be peace between humanity and God. But through Christ, to believe any other thing is to make nonsense of faith. And anything that you believe outside of faith is essentially destroying the faith that would have led you to God. In verse 17, it says, and he came and preached peace to you who were afar off, that is the Gentiles, and to those who were near, that is the Jews. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. You have access. By faith, you have access to God. You don't need to go through a pastor. You don't need to go through a prophet. It's a lie from the pit of hell that you must go through a pastor to talk to God. No, that's what God came to do. That's why he says we should ask in the name of Jesus. So you don't, I don't know where we get this, this is where we are asking in the name of pastor, so-and-so, past bishop, so-and-so, in the name of our general overseer, in the name of our mission or our commission or whatever. It has no basis in scripture. And what it does is that it weakens your faith and eventually destroys it. It is a thief. That kind of a message is a thief. That kind of an action is a thief. It comes to steal. It comes to kill. It comes to destroy. In verse 9, it says, now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You are now a member of the family of God. Can you imagine? You are in a family and the only person that can talk to your father is your elder brother. You can't talk to your father. You don't have any relationship with him. You want school fees, your elder brother will say, let me talk to him for you. If you were a father, I'm sure after a while you will ask that elder brother, are you saying that my other children don't know how to come to me? Why do they have to ask you for things and then you now come and ask me? Are they not my children? Don't they have access to me? The Bible says we all have access to God. By faith, we have access to God. And this is what we're supposed to be teaching. But when we deny people the access to God, we are actually damaging their faith. Because their faith now shifts from being towards God towards man. In verse 20, the Bible says, Haven't been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So it is through the teachings the foundation of the, he's talking of the teachings of the apostles 
and of the prophets. Teachings contained in the Bible. Through teachings, we are able to be established. We are able to stand firm. Without Christ, we are nothing. Without Christ, all we have are troubles, sorrows, and so on and so forth. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ said that in this world, we'll have many troubles. He says, but be of good cheer because I have overcome. And what is implying there is that we will overcome. Why? Because he has overcome and because we are in him. In 2 Chronicles chapter 15, reading from verse 2, a very interesting story. Asa had gone to war and had won a battle. And when he was returning, the Spirit of God came upon a prophet. And he began to prophesy. Let me read from verse 2. Azariah, the son of Oded, who was prophesying, And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And this is where we're going to. For a long time, Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. Israel, and we can apply that to spiritual Israel today, which is the church. Many Christians have been without the true God. They have been without teachings. And they have been without the word of God. And because those three things are missing, look at what verse 4 says. It says, but when in their trouble, they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. In other words, even if you are without, if you turn to God, you will be found by him. He will find you. God finds those people who are looking for him. Before you started looking for him, he was already looking for you. So the moment you start looking for him, he will find you. In verse 5, he says, And in those times, when people were without God, without teachings, and without the word of God, the Bible says, There was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in. But great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the lands. So nations was destroyed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every adversity. But you be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. What do we have here? We have a situation where if we are without God, we have no life. And if we have no life, then death is all that we have. You can go to church all you care. If Christ is not in you and you in Christ, you have no life. All you have is death. There is a ministry, as it were, of death hanging over that person. It is in Christ that we have life. And without him, we have troubles, no peace, no calm, war, quarrels, and all kinds of things. In Ephesians chapter 4, reading from verse 17, it says, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer, speaking to believers, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, based on facts, based on feelings, Based on the flesh is a futile attempt to walk with God, walking as the Gentiles walk. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated, that is estranged from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts. They can't even see. They're in darkness. They can wink, but nobody will see them winking because they're in the dark. In verse 19, it says, Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. That is, there is no sensitivity of the spirit in them. And so when they are acting lewdly, they believe they are doing what is right. They can be naked and say that they are dressed. They can be prostituting their bodies and say, it is my body. I can do with my body whatever I like. To see such a thing happening in the church is a misnomer. And that's what the Bible says. Don't live like the Gentiles are living. The Gentiles live differently from the believers. The believers live according to the word of God. Faith in God is how they live. They don't live any other way. In verse 20 says, but you have not so learned Christ. Christ is not just a teacher. He's also a subject to be studied. He said, you have not studied him. 
When you study him that way, you will realize that Christ does not live the way these people are living. And if you are in Christ, you are not supposed to live that way either. And it goes on in 21, it says, If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. Have we been taught by him? Why are we not living like him? Like I told you the example, a child is born, but that child must be taught. That child must be taught how the family has been living before he came in. And if he's taught properly, he will become a model citizen in society when he grows up. When a child is born, there is a lot of hope for that child. There's a future for that child. Do you know that the people who became armed robbers, who became murderers, who became prostitutes and even professors and who did wonderful things in the world, presidents or governors or whatever it was they became in the world, at their birth, everybody rejoiced. But what was the outcome? For some, it was good. For some, it was bad. The murderer, the serial killer, the serial rapist, the one who caused mayhem to humanity, they rejoiced. When Adolf Hitler was born, I am sure his parents rejoiced that they had brought a child to the world. We don't know how he was trained. I want to believe that they trained him right, but he chose his own path and he became what he has become. It's the same with many of us. Our parents rejoiced the same way the Lord Jesus Christ rejoiced when we came to him. Heaven rejoiced when we became born again. But what are we becoming now? Are we bringing joy still? Or are we bringing sorrow? These are issues that we must consider. Have we been taught the word of God? Have we been taught by Christ? Are we living by the word of God? In verse 22, it says that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. The old man, that is the flesh, the old nature, that nature that loves to sin, that nature that lives contrary to God. He says you were taught to put it off and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We're trying to build the background here and we are going to a place in building this background that you were born again not to live as the Gentiles lived. You were born again not to live according to facts anymore, not to live according to feelings anymore, not to live according to the flesh anymore, but to live according to the spirit, to live according to the teachings of Christ, to live according to the word of God. Once you became born again, your life changed. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Everything is new. If you are waiting to see before you know that everything is new, then you are still walking in the realm of fact, feelings, and flesh. There's a statement I always hear people say, I feel the anointing. That is not a scriptural statement. If you are feeling the anointing, you are walking on feelings. The anointing is not based on feeling. The anointing is there because it is there. I don't have to feel anything to know that God is with me. The anointing is either there or not there. You don't feel it. You know it is there by faith. That if I am walking according to the word of God, I know I have the anointing of God upon me. I'm sure in the course of this discussion, we will be discussing the issue of the anointing at some point. So let's go to what we want to discuss. Having laid this introduction. To be able to overcome faith killers and live above them, therefore, we must do five things. Number one, we must be able to defend ourselves against faith killers. Number two, we must turn our gaze away from these things, these facts, these feelings, and this flesh, and put our gaze in the right place. Number three, we must hear what will boost our faith, not what will dampen or weaken our faith. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you must make sure that you are hearing the word of God. That's how your faith is boosted. That's how your faith is built up. Number four, you must have an understanding heart. And number five, you must be in the spirit 
at all times. What we are going to do today and over the next other meetings will be to digest these five things. And we begin by looking at a scripture text in Proverbs chapter 4 from verse 20 to verse 27. That's to the end. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot from evil. This is an encompassing scripture that speaks about the things that we need to do. It says, my son, give attention, pay heed, listen, heed, not just hear, but do. Give attention to my, incline your ears to my saying. Don't let them depart from out of your heart. We're not talking of that thing that pumps blood here. We are speaking of the being, the spirit man. That's the heart of man, the central part of man, the spirit man, the man that got born again. He says, Keep the word of God deep inside your spirit man. Let the word of God be retained in your spirit man. It says, for they are life. The word of God is life. Christ is the word of God. He is the life. They are life to those who find them. There's a searching. It's not just something that you pick anyhow. There's a searching to get to the mind, the germs of the world of God. They are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. And it manifests even in the outward. He says in verse 23, keep your heart, keep this central part of this, your being. Keep it with all diligence, with all attention, with uprightness. For out of it are the issues of life. We are going to look at that. The Lord Jesus Christ had said somewhere that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And since it's out of the heart that you have things like adultery, fornication, evil, thefts, murders, and so on and so forth. So he says, guard it. Guard it very well because it is what is in you that will come out. If you don't guard it, all kinds of things will enter in. If you don't guard your heart, they will throw junk inside of your heart. There are many people who are speaking junk to people. All you need to do is go to social media and you'll find a lot of junk entering your life. All, all kinds of stories are entering. There is no filter. Many of us don't even have a filter. We believe everything. We don't question anything. There's no filter to say, check this thing. Some of us have filters, but the filters are so big, it allows the things that we agree with and throws away the things that we don't agree with. If I hate a governor or a president or a political party, anything that they do that is right is wrong. If I love a political party, a president or a governor, anything that they do that is wrong is right in my eye. That's the kind of filter people have. Your heart is not guarded. He says, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it is what enters that is going to come out. It's what you allow into your heart that will come out. If you allow resentment in your heart, it's going to come out. If you allow hypocrisy into your heart, it's going to come out. If you allow holiness into your heart, it's going to come out. It will manifest. You cannot hide it. In verse 24, it says, put away from you a deceitful mouth. A deceitful mouth is a mouth that is hypocritical. It speaks something that is contrary to what is in the heart. It says all is well. Meanwhile, he means evil towards you. Bible says keep away from a deceitful mouth. Keep away from people who do those things. Watch yourself also that you don't do those things. And put perverse lips from you. So don't do it. As much as I keep away from people, keep your lips away from such an attitude. If you want to say something is bad, say it. But it must be something that is truthful that you are saying. You cannot say something is bad when it is not bad. Put perverse lips away from you. 
He says, let your eyes look straight ahead. We are going to discuss some of these things in some detail. In the 18th, 19th century in England, when they used horses, especially in the cities for transportation, they had an eye shield that would make the horse not to look beside, but to look straight on. That's what the Lord is saying here. Keep your eyelids straight on. Don't look to the right. Don't look to the left. Just be straight on. Be focused. He says, and your eyelids look right before you. Don't be distracted. Ponder the path of your feet. Meditate. Spend time meditating before you take steps. It's better for you to spend a whole lot of time brooding over something than take a decision. I know somebody once said, whether decision is right or wrong, take a decision. No, we don't want to take wrong decisions. We want to take decisions that will be beneficial to people. So we don't take decisions in a rush. We don't take it in a hurry. We seek the face of God. We must ponder the word of God. We must ponder the path that we are towing. He says, and let all your ways be established. How? By the word of God. In verse 27, finally it says, do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. With that text, which will form the part which we've read, defending yourself against faith killers, focusing on what we need to focus hearing the right thing, having a good heart to have understanding, and being in the spirit at all times. So let's take the first one, defending yourself against faith killers. Defending yourself against faith killers. Matthew chapter 15, reading from 17 to 20, we had quoted it earlier. Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. And they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Guard your heart. We're going to speak more on that later. But one of the things that will help you to fight against faith killers is to protect your heart from things that can come in. Satan can put thoughts into you. And if you swallow it, it will stay inside your spirit, man. And it will soon manifest in your words, in your actions, in the decisions you are making. Who you are listening to will manifest in the way you live your life, in the way you make decisions, in the way you conduct yourself, in the way you act. If you hate people, it shows the state of your heart. When people say that they hate people of a particular religion, it shows the state of their heart. God did not ask us to hate people. He told us to hate Satan and his deeds, but not the people. The Bible says God so loved the world. That is, he loves the people of the world. He gave his only begotten son. If he hated them, why would he give Christ? He loves them. It is what they are doing that he hates. It's the sin that he hates, not them per se. So we cannot be hating people and be making claims that we are Christians. The way we are living our lives, the way some important church leaders speak, sometimes I wonder if they understand what scripture is, what God desires. I wonder if they know that even though Christianity has a placing with God, that God has made it such that even the rulers of this world, good or bad, have been made ministers over those of us on the earth, including the pastors themselves, seeking to arrogate to themselves what God has not given them. This was the error of the Catholic Church. When they told the kings of those days that you may hold the power over life and death on the earth, but I hold the keys to heaven and hell. I can put you where I want to put you. The kings all were free. But that was error. It made the Pope feel good, feel big, feel important. But it was error. It got the church into all kinds of mess. On the one young man, Martin Luther came and made nonsense of those things. And the Lutheran church was born. And from then on, we know what happened thereafter. So we must guard our hearts. One man can put an entire nation to fight. We've seen it. 
how men through their own private agenda will get an entire people to walk. Why? Because they didn't guard their hearts. The Bible says the man who has control over his spirit is greater than a general who takes a city in battle. The greatest victory is a victory over yourself. So as we look at defending yourself against faith killers, we must turn our attention to ourselves. Because if we don't turn our attention to ourselves and our faith is killed, we are going to become unbelievers. We are going to become people who are without God, without hope, without teaching, without the word of God, without anything in this world. We are just going to be there like tractors bulldozing our way through life, causing damage and destruction all over the place. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 18, the Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He's not talking of a physical arm, but he's trying to use military parlance to explain to us that we're in a battle. You are at war. And he uses the kind of military strategies and techniques and tactics and uniform that they used to put on in his day to explain what it means to put on the whole armor of God. And he tells us who our enemy is to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The devil operates by wiles. These are tricks. These are traps, subtleties, things that you can't even know that they are there. But he's trapping you and you don't know. For example, you remember he told the Lord Jesus, if you are the son of God, do this. And we all hear that. If indeed you are a Christian, prove it. You don't have to prove anything to anybody. But that is how Satan talks. And many, many pastors are falling for such things. They want to prove that they are not afraid of coronavirus, that they can heal. This is not to cast aspersions. Can we all go back to the Bible and defend? The Bible says, contend earnestly for the faith that you once received. We need to contend for the faith. Stop contending with men. Stop contending with governors and presidents. Contend with Satan on the faith because that's what he's doing. He's bringing wiles and stirring hearts against God's order and God's authority. In verse 12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You're not wrestling against the governor, against policies. That's not what you're wrestling against. That's not the fight. You're not wrestling against presidents, against policies or whatever. I hear so many things. Oh, the church in Nigeria is under attack. I read an article written by some British press. And I, wa I was wondering whether they're talking about the same Nigeria where I am living in. Oh, that religious violence has taken over the place. Christians are being killed. What are you talking about? Everybody's being killed. We have problems. Yes. But don't turn it into a religious thing. Why do we do such a thing? That is the trick of Satan, to bring a religious war to this nation. And unfortunately, sadly, there are many pastors, including people who say that they belong to an association called Christian Association of Nigeria. They are involved in this thing. Who did Paul and the others go to report to? What association did they form when they were under Roman oppression? When they were being persecuted by the Romans? They took it. Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down. Others were stoned to death for their faith. We are looking for a way to draw sympathy. What are we doing? Verse 12 again. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You can see the, what we are contending against. They are not human beings. These are spirits. Remember, faith is believing that the unseen world exists. And the Bible is telling us that they exist. That's who you are contending against. In verse 10, it says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Because of this fight, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having gutted your waist with truth. Even though he's using military parlance, he's telling you the things that must be in your life if you are going to guard against 
the onslaught of the devil in coming to weaken and destroy your faith and therefore destroy you. You must have truth. The Bible talks about truth in the inward parts. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, you must have righteousness. Righteousness is imputed by God on the basis of our faith. When we believe we righteousness is imputed, we believe to be made righteous. But having been made righteous, we now have to walk righteously. And then it goes on and says, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, you must be ready to preach the gospel of peace, not war. Sometimes there needs to be war for peace to come. Yes, but you must preach the gospel of peace. You must be ready to preach it at all times. You must be ready to live the gospel at all times. In verse 6 says, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Satan is throwing darts. It is your faith that will be a shield. In the Roman days, the shield was something that they used in protecting themselves against arrows from above, from the front, and from the sides. They had military formations that made those protections there. But as an individual, you needed your own shield also. As you are defending yourself, there are people behind you who are also defended. But if your shield should lower and you drop off, the man behind you is exposed. He probably will now need to drop his own shield and somebody else behind him will have to put the shield above the head. Because in those days, when they shot their arrows, it came both in front and overhead. So everybody must have his shield of faith before him. You must live by faith. You cannot say, oh, the faith of my pastor is carrying me. Your pastor's faith is your pastor's faith. You must have faith. You must trust God. You must believe God. It goes on. It says, with your faith, you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts, the attacks of fear, the attacks of unbelief, the attacks of doubt, and so on and so forth, of expert opinions and other things. They are quenched by your shield of faith. So when you're hearing words that do not agree with the word of God, your shield of faith shields you against those words. Your heart is guarded. Those things cannot come in. In verse 17, it says, and take the helmet of salvation to cover your head. If your head is attacked, that's it. He's talking about how important salvation is. Your salvation, you must not treat it lightly. It's a wonderful gift that God gave to you. It's a down payment that God made on your head as it were. You must make sure that you are intact in going to heaven. Don't let anything soil you. Don't let anything come and take that salvation away from you. He tells you it can be taken. After Goliath had a helmet covering his head, he just had one little spot. That little spot was found and it sunk in and that was the end of Goliath. So don't destroy your faith. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, you defend yourself with the word of God. In other words, when Satan says, if you are the son of God, do so and so, the Lord just said, it is also written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. What was he doing there? He's defending with the sword of the spirit, with the word of God. When Satan brings a word, of discouragement, you speak a word of encouragement. The Bible says when hands are being put down, men must speak words to lift up, to encourage. Discouragement does not come from God. It comes from Satan. And then in verse 18, it says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Prayer. So you see all the things that you must have. You must be truthful. You must have the witness of the Spirit in you. You must have righteousness based on faith. Preach the word of God at all times. Use your faith to defend yourself against onslaughts from Satan and so on and so forth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 5. The Bible says, for though we walk in the flesh, though we walk in the physical, we do not war according to the flesh. We don't war physical battles. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The battlefield is your mind. The battlefield is your heart. You are going to be contending with diverse opinions. You need the word of God 
you need to be able to defend yourself against this onslaught from Satan by weapons that God has provided. Those weapons are mighty through God. It could just be speech. It is made powerful because God is there. When David took that stone and cast against Goliath, that stone became powerful because of God. When Samson slew people with the jawbone of an ass, that jawbone became a powerful weapon because of God. It was not because of Samson. When he tore a lion, it was God that was tearing that lion through Samson. We know that the picture of Samson is the picture of facts, not of faith. They picture Samson as a man of muscle, a man who is powerful and everything. That's how they picture Samson. But I am sure if we saw Samson in real life, he would just be an ordinary man who is made powerful because God has come into him. Everybody that you see is just an ordinary person made powerful by the hands of the Almighty. It is God who makes us powerful. It's God who makes us strong to be able to ward off Satan. We cannot ward off Satan on our own. We need God to help us to ward off Satan. It is God who gives us that power, that ability to be able to do that. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5, the Bible says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. You defend against faith killers by faith, through faith, with faith. Believe in Christ, being in Christ, remaining in Christ, taking up the whole armor of God and the weapons that God will give us. We don't even know what weapon we will use. God will tell you what to use. Sometimes it is the written word that God will say, speak this word out. And once you speak it, it smashes everything that is coming your way. You defend yourself against these faith killers by considering your faith in God. Faith is a weapon for defending yourself against faith killers. That is whatever it is that God says you do. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ears to my saying. Do not let them depart from your heart. In verse 5, it says, Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The world says, and that's what facts is saying. Fact says, seeing is believing. But that's not what the word of God says. The Lord Jesus Christ said in John chapter 11, verse 40, Jesus said to Martha, Did I not say to you, that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. The world says, seeing is believing. The Lord says, believing will lead to seeing. So you see that faith and facts, they don't go together. Fact depends on what you see. Faith depends on the word of God that you have heard. And if you believe it, you will see what the word of God is saying. And this is the issue. So to defend against the onslaught of unbelief, of doubt, and so on and so forth, you must believe the word of God. You must bring yourself to the place where every word that God says is believed. Faith is an active word. It's not passive. If you believe, we will see it in your action. Rahab believed and we saw it in her action. She hid the spies. She got them to cut a covenant with her. And she saved not only herself, but her family. Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him for righteousness. When you believe, it's an active thing. You cannot believe God, for example, and believing in fear. You cannot. Those two don't go together. If you have fear, it means that you are believing the facts or the way you are feeling. That's why you're exhibiting fear. No wonder the psalmist wrote. He said, what time I am afraid, I will put my trust in the Lord. And that is how we're supposed to live our lives. From henceforth, what time unbelief comes, put your trust in the Lord. When Satan is bringing it to sneak it in, put your trust in the Lord. When he says a word, when he points to something, say the way he's going. What did God say to you? That's the question you should be asking yourself. I remember reading the biography of John Wesley. He said, after he got born again, Satan began to put some things in, but you are still afraid. He said, well, I may be afraid, but I am in Christ. 
He said, so how do you talk about this fear if you are in Christ? He said, no, my faith is in God, even though I may be afraid outwardly, but inwardly, I am strong in the Lord. What is he doing there? He's using the word of God to fight back, to push back against Satan. What many of us do is to succumb to his suggestions because that's what they are. And when we accept them, they now become law to us. Meanwhile, the word of God, which is law, we don't want to accept it, but we want to accept the suggestion of Satan and make it law. And then tomorrow we say, it's Satan that made me do it. He didn't make you do it. He may have dangled it in your front, but you took that decision yourself because you chose not to live by faith. Many people have gotten into debt because they didn't live by faith. Because they lived according to their senses, according to what the experts brought. They brought feasibility studies. They brought plans. There's nobody who wants to sell a product that's not going to sell the good to you. He's never going to tell you what is wrong with it. He will tell you what is good about it. It's for you to go to God and say, Lord, should I invest in this thing? Lord, should I do this? I? But you know, we're all guilty. I've fallen for such things too. So the reality of it is that we must put our trust in God and hold on to God in faith. At the end of everything, I am sure that the almighty God will be with us, will continue to defend us, will continue to support us and increase us in himself. Until we meet again, God bless you and continue to keep you and protect you and guide you. God bless you.